So we're here today uh, with a conversation with Rob and Ben Kai, and this is Pastor Daniel, and we have been making our way through the book of 2 Samuel, and we came to a very important passage in this story of uh, the kingdoms of Israel and the kings of Israel, and we're in the life of David right now, and this is the moment in David's life, uh, Samuel chapter 11, where David has uh, sinned greatly in the sight of the Lord and sinned uh, with Bathsheba, right? It's probably one of the most well-known stories of the Bible. And we thought, what a opportunity to um, come together and discuss this passage. Um, if you get a chance to go and read, Pastor Ben Kai wrote a blog on 2 Samuel chapter 11. You can go and read it. And we're going to use that as sort of a springboard to get into conversation today about this. So uh, welcome, guys. Thank you. Beer. Yeah. So uh, starting in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we read this sort of ominous statement right from the start. Ben Kai, you want to read that uh, sure. for us? It says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So pretty uncharacteristic of David because all the way from 1 Samuel to 2 Samuel, we're seeing David going into battle, right? Beginning with David and Goliath and all the different, you know, sieges that he had. But here he stays at Jerusalem. Why do we think he stayed in Jerusalem? I think he's getting comfortable. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> and that can be a dangerous thing. <laughs> Comfortable. I, I've heard others also say it would be uh, what we modernly call a midlife crisis. <laughs> He's wondering whether this was really his calling in life to continue on waging war. Yeah. yeah. Both will preach <laughs> right? yep. that when we get into those points in our lives where we get our focus off of what our calling is, that who we are in the sight of the Lord. David got comfortable. He got sort of in this place where he forgot. He's the leader of Israel. He is the anointed king of God's people. And instead, he's remaining at Jerusalem when everyone else is in the fight. And um, really, I mean, what we're going to talk about today is the fight of sin. And that's a real important point that we always need to be engaged in the battle against sin. Um, if we get too comfortable, then it can be easy to fall into temptation, right? Absolutely. And I do, I think it's interesting because you juxtapose the beginning, you know, David shirks his responsibility. Mm-hmm. You can start to say he's in sin already. Uh, you know, God has commanded him to go conquer the land. Um, but already you have a taste of God's grace, right? Mm-hmm. Because they still ravage the Ammonites and besiege Rabbah. That's good. Right? God has not taken his favor away from Israel, even in the sight of David's. But David is outside of God's will, and so in a sense he's lost a bit of that hedge of protection around him, and that's what's coming. He's vulnerable. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I I, I would say too, though, yeah, the battle with sin is a a battle we're in until we go home to be with the Lord, but at the same time, I don't think we want people to think that being a Christian is all about sin management, because if that's your approach, you've got it all wrong. Sin management, that phrase really brought a lot of transformation to me in like my mid-20s. I would say that, um, you know, I got saved when I was 17 and I got into this point where that's exactly what I would describe what I was doing, sin management, where I was, yeah, trying to dot the I's and cross the T, but it became more law-oriented. I had sort of lost my first love 
and it became, oh, I can't, I can do this, I can't do that, and how close can I get to where I'm not going to actually sin, and I was completely, uh, I wasn't just absolutely adoring my Savior and loving mm-hmm. Jesus and receiving His grace, and that's actually a recipe for falling into sin, yeah, sin and, management. And the answer is, like you said, just focusing on loving Jesus, because if, if we do, then you will obey Him, is what He says, yeah. um, and um also, if you just, as you've been preaching in the First Peter series of just living into who we already are in Christ, that's what we're supposed to be doing and, yeah. and not trying to manage the sin. Which is exactly the picture you don't see here in David, right? God has given him the kingship. God made him a battle king, and he's not living into what God has intended him to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I know we're going to talk about some of the Psalms, but it's also interesting, in a sense, not only has he lost his first love, but the recipe for that is he's also loved his love for Israel. So many of his psalms are about how he desires and loves Israel. Well, that's clearly a function of his love for God, and you don't see it here. He's right. not out leading the charge for Israel. Good point. Uh, yeah. So you brought up uh, in the blog that God warned Cain, and he warns us that sin was crouching at the door and would seek to control Cain and to rule over him. Um, and yet, as Paul teaches in the New Testament and as David is about to find out without God's grace and the power of his spirit, man is powerless over sin. So here you have sin sort of crouching at the door of David. He's comfortable. He's at ease in Jerusalem. He's not at all prepared for what's about to take place, right? So what would you describe that point where David is? He hasn't, we're going to get to him, you know, going on the rooftop, but um, here he's got the enticing of sin, right? And he's got what then flows into temptation. And so you quoted James 1.3 about how um, each person is tempted when they are lured and enticed by their own desires. And then when de- desire is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, grown, brings forth death. So clearly there's a progression. And here we're seeing sort of the first point in that progression of a downward spiral. Yeah, and I mean, to build a little bit of what Rob is saying, you know, I think this is classic Bible, right? There, uh, it seems like God always gives us the put on, mm. right? Love him with all of his heart. And then there are the put offs in life that you do have to stay away from. Um, and, you know, this is what David is going to, to find, that he's not putting off the things that he needs to be putting off um, that leads him more and more into temptation. His desires are leading him to a place that disastrous. Well, it's fascinating as you see this, the same process um, in the original sin in Genesis 3. You see it in uh, Joshua 7, and then it's described in that James passage. But Eve is, is looking at and considering the fruit that she knows she's not supposed to take. As she does that, her power of human reason kicks in, and she rationalizes and says, oh, it would be good to eat. It would make one wise. And then she bites and takes it. And the same thing with Akon in, in Joshua 7. He says, I, I, I saw the spoils of Shinar and the gold and the silver. I was looking at them, and, and then I coveted them, and then I took them. And it's kind of the same thing here. You know, Absolutely. You, you, uh, the downward it's a, it's a spiral downward spiral. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Or that beautiful picture of sin crouching at your door, right? Yeah. It's just crouching there until you <laughs> engage it somehow. That's right. Um, and that's exactly what they're doing here. Well, that's exactly it. Sin is crouching. So God gave the warning to Cain that it was at the door. It doesn't mean that he need he needed to let it control him. I mean, with every temptation, God provides a way of escape. Correct. We that's see correct. that in uh, in First Corinthians chapter ten. So, 
But that way of escape, you know, just to go back to Rob's point, because it's so important, that way of escape is only going to be taken out of love for the Lord, mm-hmm. right? Because that way of escape is the fullness in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so the motive behind it has to be based in the foundation that you, you brought up a little bit ago. All right, so the temptation was that David arose from his couch. He was walking on the roof of the king's house, and he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Now, so this is that moment where um, we wouldn't necessarily classify that as sin yet because he's getting up from an afternoon nap, he's taking a little stroll around the king's palace, and he happens to run into something. And, you know, we walk through a world where we are going to see things, where we're going to step into things, situations where we know that they're not right for us to be in. Um, yet we have a choice to either engage in that moment or to flee that moment, right? You see the great picture of Joseph in a moment of sexual temptation, leaving that, that you know, palace with his jacket off of his back because yep. he wasn't going to engage. But here David clearly doesn't do that. Okay. No, go ahead. Well, part of the difference is David did not yet understand that sin is a relational offense. It's an mm-hmm. offense against the law giver, not just the law. Whereas Joseph did. Joseph understood that going into that terrible temptation, because he, when he runs out in Genesis 39.9, he says, how could I do this against my Lord? That's right. And yet David doesn't say that until, until after. Psalm 54, <laughs> until yeah. afterwards, until after he learns it. Right. Which is beautiful because... He eventually, I mean, I think he probably always understood that sin was a re- relational offense to the Lord, but he had forgotten it at that point. Then when you go to Psalm 51 and he makes his confession, he says to God, against you and you alone have I sinned, Amen. which, I mean, is that really true? <laughs> I mean, he sinned against a lot of people. Oh, yeah. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against her husband. I mean, there was, you just pile up the sin, but... He finally came to the point where, yes, sin ultimately is an offense to God, which is how you ended the blog, right? Yep. Is that um, it's ultimately the last verse. It's the thing that David had done that displeased the Lord. And that's ultimately the worst part of sin. Absolutely. It's important to emphasize that in a, in a Bible-believing, Bible-loving church like ours. Because I've noticed before amongst Bible-believing Christians, we can sometimes trivialize our sin by looking at it as just a violation of some black letters on a white page mm. instead of a violation of God himself. And then when we only look at it as a violation of black letters on a white page, it's it's easier to violate. Right. Or no one was harmed. Right. The Lord is always harmed. Right. There's, it's, there's no such thing as a victimless crime <laughs> and when it comes to sin. sin. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I will tell you, I, you know, I know we all love the word for how literal it is. But to me, you're asking, where was that dividing line? To me, the Bible gives us that, right? He goes on the roof. He sees a woman bathing. No sin. And the woman was very beautiful. Sin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is now lusted after right. her. Mm-hmm. And so the Bible gives us a clear line where he engaged. He sent and inquired about the woman. Yeah. And he even had one say, is that not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? It was like... it. You basically see, like, no David, no David, <laughs> That's right. no David, and David keeps pressing, keeps inquiring, keeps looking more, until finally he sent messengers, and they took her, and yeah. she came to him, and he lay with her. Um, 
then she returned to her house and then she conceived <laughs> and sent for David and said, I'm pregnant. Now we've got a little bit of that next part of the downward spiral. Here David wanted to sin, would have just washed his hands of it, you know, but now we've got a pregnant woman. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? And, uh, you know, obviously what he does is try to cover it up. Yeah. Uh, and we all know that the cover-up is often worse than the, <laughs> than the initial sin. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, there's so many avenues to go down, but I do think one that is important to note um, is the righteousness of Uriah, yeah. a foreigner, <laughs> not even a Jew, yeah. in juxtaposition to David's downward spiral. The contrast is so powerful. Yeah. His integrity of sleeping outside because his men are at war yep. when he has every opportunity by the permission of the king to go and have a good night's sleep with his wife. Why was he, why was David trying to get him to sleep with his wife? Yeah. So he can pin the pregnancy on, on Uriah. But, Absolutely. So that plan doesn't work. No. And this is where we really see the hand of the Lord, I think, guiding this is, uh, the Lord wasn't going to allow David to cover up his sin. Sin is going to be found out, right? Going to shine a light. It's going to shine the light. So yeah. um, we we know where the story goes. Um, he sends off Uriah into battle, um, gives commands to his commanding officer, Joab, to basically ditch him in the heat of the battle so that he's killed. And so David has not only committed adultery, but now he's committed murder. Yeah. And it should just be noted, too, that that murder doesn't just implicate David. This is one of David's mighty warriors. Yeah. <laughs> He's taking a powerful force out of the army of Israel in order to cover up his sin. Mm -hmm. And so already the consequences are beginning to spill outside of David and outside of his control. Well, one of the consequences that's implicit in this chapter but not explicit is it's not just the adultery, it's not just the murder, but then for nine months, it's the hypocrisy mm -hmm. before the whole nation of Israel uh, of covering it up before them too. and not Because he doesn't admit all this in Psalm 51 until after the baby's born. Yeah. And so he, he, it, it's, it's hypocrisy as a leader as well as, as one of the... And is it in Psalm, I think Psalm 31, Psalm 32, 32, 32 where he talks about how he tried to hide his sin from the Lord and it... It just wasted away from him. So living in that nine-month period of trying to hide sin um, was probably the most miserable point in all of David's life. Why? Why is that the most miserable place to live? Conviction of the Lord is definitely one part of it. Yeah. Um, he knew God. God absolutely. was still convicting him, so he couldn't fully enjoy God because he was trying to hide sin, and he couldn't really hide sin because... God was going to... Well, and like the ending of, of, of Samuel 11, you know, one of the most devastating books in the uh, phrases in the Bible is that sin separates you from God. And, I mean, we've all had that where we feel that, uh, that separation from the Lord, the yeah. life giver. And that's torture on its own. Yeah. I think that, you know, we're going to get into um, 2 Samuel chapter 12, next week um, with next week's blog when David uh, is rebuked by Nathan the prophet and it's a great story right um, 
But we ultimately find that well-known psalm, Psalm 51, which talks about David's confession before the Lord. And um, I just want to bring that up just for a conversation because that has to be one of you know my favorite psalms. I mean, I've turned to that psalm many times because, <laughs> like David, uh, I have still sinned after... Um, knowing my calling, knowing my identity in Jesus. I think for everyone listening, I mean, we have to understand that, like, we still struggle with sin until we get to eternity. And you quoted in your blog that Romans 7 struggle for, I do not do the things I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus Christ. And I think what I love about Psalm 51 is how focused it is upon the mercy of the Lord, which ultimately points to the shed blood of Jesus. So what are some highlights of Psalm 51 for you guys? What are your favorite lines out of that psalm? Well, the overall theme, just for a moment, as we all know, I think, is repentance. But, you know, Greg Laurie talks about how when when, when a Christian approaches their sin correctly, which is to, 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 to break under God's conviction of it and repent, then we actually move forward. Now we're growing. And so he says, I love his phrase, he says, for a Christian, sin properly handled will make you fail forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you get to the point David is in Psalm 51, because he's clearly grown in his relationship with the Lord now as he writes this psalm. And, but if you refuse repentance, then you're, you're still stuck at the bottom there. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I also think... You know, uh, favorite line starts with the first verse um, in the reality that God's love would have kept you out of sin. God's mm. love redeems you, right? According to your steadfast love, David is appealing to what he should have appealed to <laughs> to prevent the sin in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, is ultimately what's also going to bring mercy into his life. I think my favorite verse is 17 where he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Right before that, he actually says, God, you won't delight in my burnt offerings and what I bring you. And it's just that reminder that um, all God's looking for is, is our heart to come back to him. He's not looking for the stuff we do for him, the stuff we give him, but just break <laughs> and, and return to me. That's what he's looking for. Yeah, and the restore to me the joy of your salvation. Yeah. Uphold me with a willing spirit. I mean, that was, we talked about that nine-month period. I mean, after repentance and confession, that restoration of the joy that flooded back in, knowing that his transgressions were blotted out. Well, and 11 being a sign of that nine-month period, right? Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Mm -hmm. Like, he was lonely. (laughs) He was experiencing what it's like not to have God's presence in his life. And I know as as a Christian who has the guarantee of salvation, the Holy Spirit, that I am um, sealed by God, that that prayer for me, take not your Holy Spirit from me, um, has been a powerful prayer of repentance for me. For me, because when I know that I'm walking in the Spirit, when I know that I'm being filled with the Spirit, I also know quite well when I'm not. <laughs> Amen. And so to sort of pray that prayer, knowing okay, the Spirit dwells in me, but man, I have been quenching him in my life because of my sin. And to have the restoration of that, which is 
ultimately the awareness of God's presence because God's presence is always with you. But when you're aware of it, it's transformative. Well, and see, that's what would have kept David out of this problem in the first place. If, if he was aware of God's presence when he was up there on the roof and his eyes saw the beautiful woman, he would have said, oh, God's here with me. I can't keep looking, right? That's and that, right. that would be the end of it. That's but right. he wasn't aware of God's presence, and so he falls. Down, mm-hmm. down he goes. Mm-hmm. So, so many others, like, hide your face from my sin, blot out all of my transgression, purge me with his sup, I shall be clean. All these Um, pictures of David being cleansed by the Lord, forgiven by the Lord, God not remembering or holding his iniquities against him anymore. Um, And we we know that that God did that, but we also know, as we'll see coming into the, now from this point, you know, you said, Ben Kai, how chapter 11 is a transition point in David's life. It's never going to quite be the same. Why is that? No, because the consequences of sin, consequences and that's the difficulty, sin. is that uh, even with God's forgiveness, there may be consequences of sin that outlast the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And we see that going forward in David's life. We see the results in his broken family. We see the results in the example he has set for his sons, um, and it cascades throughout the rest of his life. Yeah, yeah. We have to be sure we qualify that as temporal consequences because oh, clearly he, we also see in chapter 12 he's he's not going to suffer the eternal consequences because he knows he's going to go to heaven and see his son someday yeah and god so. redeems his family too i mean uh david and bathsheba although they lost god took that firstborn son there was a secondborn son solomon who became the next king of israel and god continued to build that kingdom to which Jesus would ultimately be the king of an everlasting kingdom where David would enter. That's the beautiful part of this, uh, of Samuel 11. It's just strewn throughout with that tension of man's sin and God's grace. Mm, (laughs) And ultimately we see God's grace wins out because it is the lineage of the Messiah. It is. And and Psalm 51 also gives us a, a, a beautiful picture of faith in a time like this because David wouldn't be praying for those things, asking for those things want me clean and all this unless he knew God would do it. And so he, 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 he's clearly a man of faith here, but that he knows that God's grace will be shown to him, mm-hmm. which is really what saving faith is, you know, to, yeah. to trust in that. Yeah. So, you know, these things are written down for our example. Um, and as we've gone through them, we've only scratched the surface of the depth of what this story of David's life teaches us. I hope that it was encouraging for those listening, um, one, to, um, to keep our hearts set upon Jesus so that we might not sin against him, because ultimately every sin is a transgression against the Lord. But if somebody has fallen into sin, that they would know that God is there uh, with his mercy and his grace to redeem them. And um, though there may be consequences, they're not uh, eternal consequences, because Uh, we will see David in the kingdom of heaven. And uh, I wonder if he's going to be like, man, why'd you always talk about that point in my life? (laughs) Uh, But there's a lot of great things in David's life. And this is one for us to learn from so that we can uh, avoid uh, at all costs um, sinning against our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right.